Welcome, True Believer readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PaceBot Patreon Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast for people looking to be happy. Yeah, that sounds great, James B. Listen to the Black Cat as she explains how she can be a criminal, but avoid jail. And she can make out with Spider-Man whenever she wants. She can be a hero. She can be a villain. Listen to I Have My Cake and Eat It Too on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. I'm never opposed to promoting anything but happiness. It's such a great thing. But the Black Cat is far more clever than I could ever be. So I'm going to let her pull that off. I don't know about the listeners, but not for me. All right, well, we're going to jump into a quick summary of what's been going on so you can follow today's podcast better. Eddie, in 1981, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, potential love interest Deborah Whitman is dating preppy Biff Rifkin, who Peter can't stand. Uh, Deborah works for Dr. Sloan, who's in charge of all the ESU grads, which includes Marcy Kane. The Beatle was the B story in each of the previous books. Basically, the Beatle had been using another villain, the Ringer, to fight Spider-Man while wearing a suit so the Beatle could learn Spider-Man's moves. Yeah, this allowed him to get his suit powered up with knowledge of how to fight Spider-Man. Also, Martin Blank, known as the Gibbon, who Spider-Man thinks isn't good enough to be Spider-Man's ally, is often annoyed at Spider-Man and recently got into it with Spider-Man as he is always trying to prove himself. Then the Beatle got involved in issue 59 while Spider-Man was fighting the Gibbon. That's where things are. All right, here we go. From November of 1981, Stan Lee presents Peter Parker and the Spectacular Spider-Man 60, Beatlemania, by Roger Cern, Ed Hannigan, and Jim Mooney. We open with the Beatles' new computerized suit trained to anticipate Spidey's moves, giving him a sizable edge. Spidey flees, but the Beatle captures the Gibbon, who has been licking his wounds nearby. Anticipating Spidey will return to help his simian friend. Meanwhile, Debbie invites Peter over, but much to his dismay, Biff Rifkin is there. While Biff watches TV, Peter overhears the Beatle has challenged Spider-Man for the Gibbon's life. Yeah, all bad stuff for Peter in this book. He has trouble at school, trouble with money, <laughs> trouble with his costume, and then Biff is there, and Peter needs to get ready to battle. Uh, rough day. Very, very true, James B. Well, the battle you mentioned between the foes is intense and close, with Spidey freeing the gibbon while fighting. As a victorious Spidey limps away, and the defeated Beetle stumbles to Stan, Martin Blank... The Gibbon clocks the beetle. And although he tries to explain, uh, the press thinks that Martin Blank is the hero and Spider-Man is a bum. Yeah, you can't have James B.'s favorite Captain Gene DeWolf in the book or else everyone would know the truth. Instead, Eddie, you've got some dude, uh, Lieutenant Keating, screwing everything up. Lieutenant Keating is here and he's got his SWAT team present before the beetle and Spider-Man fight. Spidey tells Keating that he might lose the chance to fight the Beetle because he's brought all his, you know, SWAT team. To which Keating replies, You costume clowns have got to learn that you can't endanger the public safety with your cockamamie grudge matches. Great word, Lieutenant Keating. I, but I've got to also agree with him here. Finally, someone's calling these guys out. 
Yeah, I like it when you and I don't agree because it's more fun, but you're right. <laughs> you can't just have people threatening on the press, oh, I'm Spider-Man, meet me here to fight. Spider-Man, meet me here where we first battled. Spider-Man, you know, and... Yeah, that's yeah not, it's, on top, it's on top of someone's, like, apartment building, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't be, it's the middle of the city, very dense population. These costume clowns are a bad influence because not only are they doing damage, but then little kids try to mimic them, and that's, that's even more trouble. <laughs> Let's jump in our next book, Eddie. And that's from December of 1981. Stanley presents Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 61, by the light of the Silvery Moonstone. Story by Roger Stern, dialogue by Bill Mantlo, and art by excellent Ed Hannigan and Jim Mooney. After Spidey saving a child trying to dangerously impersonate him, there's that child, James B., Spider-Man runs into Moonstone in Doc Connor's lab at ESU. Hearing the commotion, Marcy Kane shows up. Marcy is knocked unconscious by Moonstone's exploding light hands. Then a woozy Spidey must give her CPR as Moonstone escapes with the Enovator. Speaking of the Enovator, it's in Doc Connor's lab because Doc Connors had used it to get rid of the lizard, essentially. The Enovator's been around a long time. Didn't he use it to pull, like, Spider-Man's lizard power out of Spider-Man, too? Yes, he did that, and I, I feel like it made the iguana back into an iguana, too, but I could be wrong there also. It's an important device we've seen in the past. Many times. Moonstone, by the way, just in case nobody knows what she looks like, because she's only appeared in a couple Hulk books and one Captain America book by now. She kind of looks like a yellow Power Ranger, the way her costume is set up. It's just a bunch of yellow stuff. Uh, her arms are a little more exposed. Basically, that's how the bottom looks. And then instead of the Power Ranger helmet... She wears like a Viking helmet with a big spike or like like a fish top. If you can picture. There's like a fin on top of her helmet. Yeah, there's like a fin on. I'm trying to think of Tiger Shark, but I don't think anybody's going to know who he is but me. Tiger Shark's the Submariner island. He has I'm, the same top. I'm going for a Rocketeer reference here. If you remember Oh, great. That yes. Rocketeer helmet <laughs> with Power Ranger clothes. We're just, we're just going to get all our vintage references in that little bit right there, James B. Well, I'm much more interested in Spider-Man calling Marcy by her first name not once but twice. It's on page nine in here. And not only does he do that, but Marcy says, that's twice he's called me by name. How does he know who I am? Always fun when Peter does this slip up and even more fun when people call him out on it. Like the writers obviously know he's doing this. That's why they have the characters recognize it. So I like it. We get a backstory after this detailing Moonstone's involvement with previous Spider-Man villain, Dr. Faustus, and how she got the Moonstone. Uh, with the innovator, she lights up the abandoned building she's in, and Spidey comes calling. Spider-Man knocks her out with a crane. I almost missed this. It was very small on this page. And saves everyone before the innovator explodes in an abandoned building. Peter visits Marcy in the hospital, who has no recollection of Spider-Man calling her by name. And Marcy flirts with Peter. She might have recollection of Spider-Man calling her by name. She doesn't tell Peter. That's the best writing I think we could get. Speaking of best writing, one thing I don't love is when people tell things as opposed to showing them. I mean, that's just a writer, you know, a writer's <laughs> trope, right? Yeah. So real quick, Eddie, I think it's time for a new segment called Tell, Don't Show. All right, Eddie, this is the first time you've heard this segment. You can just follow along. 
Eddie, we talk a lot about how Peter treats Deborah Whitman. Do you recall yeah. us discussing this in the past? Yes, he treats her very poorly. Right. So usually we see it happen. But in this book here, he doesn't do anything to her. All he does is he kind of like say he comes to her house, watches some TV, talks to Biff, and then he you know, leaves and he saves Marcy from some danger, sort of. But Deborah Whitman didn't get slighted by Peter. So they chose to let us know that this is what happens. Uh, on page 12, it says, <clears throat> these are her thought bubbles. Peter's the nicest guy I've ever known, but he never seems to have the time for me. He's always breaking dates, always letting me down, always off somewhere else at those very moments when I need him most. Biff may come on strong, but he is attentive, dependable, everything Peter isn't. Yet, if I ever needed help, would Biff be able to come to my aid as Peter came to Marcy's? Question mark. There you go. He let her down in the thought bubbles. Thank you for letting me have our little segment today called... Tell, don't show. Poor Deb. Uh, oh, it's good. Even when she's not being right? let down, she's still being let down. It's so evil to her. Come on. Uh, well, the illustrations of this book, I think, are terrible. They bothered me a lot. Sorry, Ed Hannigan. Wait, really? You really don't like them? No. They're... They're terrible. Yeah, it's, not, it, it's it's very different than what we've been reading. So I think it's just a little bit of a little bit getting used to. But uh, yes, it's not the not the strongest from excellent Ed Hannigan. Well, Eddie, he is. I'm just going to let you know the artist of the next book and the next book and the next book after that as well. All right. So the only thing that's going to change is our writer, and that's from January of 1982. Stanley presents Peter Parker: The Spectacular Spider-Man 62 Gold Fever by Bill Mantlo. Easy Ed Hannigan and Jim Mooney. The gold bug is making deals with the Magia to sport his gold endeavors, and Peter's getting his chance to test some of his radioactive research out using a truckload of gold. Fate brings these two characters together. Do you want to know what Goldbug looks like? Uh, is he gold? <laughs> Does he have a bug? <laughs> well, if he was gold, he would be the Molten Man, because the Molten Man is literally just a golden man. Right. No, this guy is gold and he has like the logo of a bug on him. Like <laughs> Spider-Man has a logo. So he's just the molten man with the gold bug. I want to talk more about the amount of gold here. You know, you kind of whip through it and Peter's getting his chance to test some gold. Eddie, they wheel in bars of gold. Each bar is valued in today's dollars at $450,000. <laughs> they wheel in about 20 of these things. So these two armed guards bring in $10 million worth of today's money of gold bars. I'm just saying. Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead and do your ESU experiment. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you for that description. Back to our golden story. Although Goldbug initially managed to steal the gold from ESU, this is because Peter must take time to mix up a cure for Deb Whitman, who's been encased in gold by Goldbug's gun. Uh, Spidey catches up with Goldbug. There's a battle with the Magia. And Spider-Man all going at it. In the end, our hero not only gets the gold, but saves Goldbug from being poisoned by the radioactive gold. Oh, so many times I said gold, James B. These illustrations, once again, are kind of rooting my experience. Sorry, Eddie Hannigan. 
can't say this story excited me in any way either. <laughs> yeah, our podcast today, Let's Read Spider-Man 168, is going to be known as the podcast that you complain about Ed Hannigan and the gold. <laughs> and I complain about filler stories. Because these filler stories, I mean, I'm very cautious of how I say this, but it looks like someone's like, okay, we're going to write a bunch of stories. Just make sure that Marcy and Deb are in them and they can go in any order in any way. And that's how I know they're fillers. Like things aren't progressing. They're just the fact that Deb has to take a thought bubble to let everyone know, oh, oh, woe is me, Peter, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, this. these stories can happen in any order. But anyway, I think the villains have been getting slightly worse. I'm actually missing the Beatle. Uh, and that's saying something when I have to. Agreed, yes. But hopefully we get a good villain in the next issue, which is from February of 1982. Stanley presents Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 63. A firebug intends to make that curse come true tonight. By Bill Mantlo. Oh, look, LaRoque and Mooney. After saving a few firefighters from a burning hospital and containing an unruly mob, Buddy finds footprints burned into concrete. With a little help from Flash, he catches up on his old friends, Liz Allen and Harry Osborn. It's no surprise when the Molten Man, Liz's stepbrother, pops up. Wait, why is it no surprise? Tell us. <laughs> because this is Liz's stepbrother, the Molten Man. Um, and he's in every single issue that Liz Allen and they come together as a package deal, right? Always. Ever since this Ever since they introduced the Molten Man, Liz is in every single issue. So there you go. All right, sorry. Go ahead. Just That's right. He pops out of Liz's New Jersey home and attacks Spider-Man. Harry joins the attack, and with the help of some of his neighbors, when I say this, I took time to show my wife that Harry is spraying the Molten Man with a fire hose, everyone. And then the neighbors are also spraying Molten Man with fire hoses, or not fire hoses, with normal hoses off their, <laughs> off their houses. The only thing that could make this more ridiculous is when Spidey kicks the Molten Man into a pool nearby, pulling him back into metal form and making him unconscious. A swimming pool defeats the Molten Man. I, I guess that's okay. Well, I guess that's it for my stepbrother. He's like, <laughs> he's, he goes, he's pretty tough when he's in the, his molten, molten Man form, but he's, even, he's still tough when he's in his not fire form, too. You know, he looks at him like, this guy's still, because he's fought him so many times, because yeah. he keeps showing up. It's good to see all the characters from the 1979 Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. We haven't seen these guys in 40 podcasts, Eddie. It's like an update, seeing Flash and Shawshan in their apartment, and then he leads them to now living in New Jersey. By the way, when they're living in New Jersey, there's a real plug for, like, living in the suburbs is wonderful, isn't it, everyone? Yeah, all your neighbors. says at the end of the book. All your neighbors will come help you. They come running outside to help them with, like, shovels and everything to help battle the boat with me too. Uh, Eddie, I don't know if we have any music for this, but Mazel Tov to Harry and Liz apparently got married but didn't warrant a wedding issue. I feel like Ned and Betty had a wedding issue. Yeah. You recall this. Significantly less important. And yes, they did. They were in like a venue where there was like four venues and that's the one where Mirage shows up and robs three oh, of the yes. weddings. Yes. Right. And then he gets to Ned and Betty's and Spider-Man shows up mm. and... Bad luck. Yeah, throws a chandelier on him, if I remember correctly, and that's it. <laughs> well, Spider-Man goes to Liz and Harry's house. I, I thought it was going to be like Peter Parker, but 
he knocks on the door and then fights the molten man in the house, burns the house down. I, I, it couldn't be more traumatic and traumatizing for Harry and Liz. I, I guess he also wants to see the Green Goblin again, right? Well, everyone knows Harry's the Green Goblin, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> all the, I'm assuming all the neighbors know, too. That keeps coming up. Although maybe they're trying to retcon that away that nobody remembers about this. <laughs> Oh my! Well, uh, this book right after the Gold Book Bug Book is weird. These are two very golden characters who have no connection whatsoever. <laughs> if you're gonna push that, if you're gonna say that Gold Bug is Gold Bug really does look a lot like the Molten Man. If we're gonna play two golden characters in a row, you could argue that Moonstone running around with her, she's a golden yellow character, and she's stealing the device which is making golden energy everywhere radioactivity right? it's true the radioactivity of the gold bug gold uh, from the innovator it is it is kind oh, of man. been that theme i mean the beetle book is not like that it's, yeah. i mean it literally was called by the light of the silvery moonstone but it wasn't it was written in all bright uh, yellows you know with her golden hair and her golden maybe, outfit so. maybe it's like a crossword puzzle where you know you like gave a couple hints and then it all comes together right <laughs> eddie is the did we finally recover though? Is Goldbug is a worse villain than the Molten Man, right? Oh, the significantly Man. worse. I okay, will. Molten Man's—he's the worst of our villains normally, but in Peter Parker, he's not so bad. No, he's—he's he's a significant upgrade from many and, of the villains we see. And real quick, because we did—we're just kind of blasting through these a little bit today, but he's at the house because. He's visiting Liz, who's trying to talk him out of being a bad guy again. Did you get that sense? I, I just attributed this. The Molten Man is insane. He's been, like, buried under a building for a long time. After the innovator collapses the building, somehow this frees Molten Man. <laughs> and he's just insane from being stuck under this building. And well, the only thing he knows is to go see Liz. That's it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he only knows to go see Liz. You're correct. <laughs> That's it. That's all he could do. <laughs> he He's not a great villain. Uh, Bill Mantlo has shown up and just brought him back again for us. But Bill Mantlo usually, with, you know, creating the gold bugs of the world or whatever he's doing, he, he has created 55 original characters, which include Rom the Space Knight and Rocket Raccoon. Uh, Rocket was in a Hulk book that... Uh, he was writing, to be fair. He was just a one-off, but he gets credit for them. But I think he's got some characters coming up in the next issue that are going to be in the top five characters that Bill Mantle has ever created. And that issue is from March of 1982. Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 64, Cloak and Dagger by Bill Mantlo, Ed Hannigan's back, and Jim Mooney. James B., I'm going to do this final short summary in one shot, and we can talk after. Okay. Cloak and Dagger are chasing down Magia mobsters who were concocting new drugs and testing them on runaway kids. Spidey tangles with them early on, Cloak and Dagger, and finds Cloak's teleportation ability tricky to navigate and Dagger's daggers near lethal to him. The mobsters are summarily rounded up and taken to Ellis Isle, which is where it turns out Cloak and Dagger were some of the children that had been experimented on. Spidey shows up and tries to stop them from killing the mobsters, but the mobsters end up inadvertently killing themselves. The mysterious duo, Cloak and Dagger, disappear, leaving Spidey a little scared. And usually I'm pretty impressed with your handling of 
500 summaries that you've been written for us. That's true. I, I was a little disappointed in this one. I thought this was a book that warranted a good two or three paragraphs, and you kind of wrapped this all up in one. I don't think you understand how important Cloak and Dagger are. I think you could have dragged this a little bit more, so I'm going to try to fill in some of the gaps here. Sounds good. Eddie, this book is way, way darker than any of the Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Mans, or the Amazing Spider-Man books I can think of at all. This is Marvel team-up level dark. Uh, right away, Cloak and Dagger just show up, and they kill a guy immediately. They hunt down a Magia mobster, and they kill him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen that often. You don't see the Prowlers and the Gibbons and Black Cat just killing people. And you put down at the end of your comments here... Spidey shows up, tries to stop from killing the mobsters. The mobsters end up inadvertently killing themselves. Uh, no. Cloak absorbs them all and then releases them so they run out of his cloak five stories off a building and fall to their death. That is not inadvertently killing themselves. That is murder. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's much more nuance. When Spider-Man looks down there, he says, I showed them the light and they followed it. Which, of course, was to their immediate death, too. So Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that mobsters are good or bad, but these guys, I just want to know, like, these are vigilantes, okay? Yeah. They, the Punisher has been shooting mercy bullets since, like, his second or third book. These guys just did everyone dirty and, and didn't look back. and Killed at they, least six people, if not more than that in this book. And Spider-Man in the book was in the book, but... Was he? Like, what did he do besides not catch them, not stop them? At one point, he does get involved when they capture uh, Dagger for a moment. The ba- one of the bad guys has her, like, knife, yes. like a, a knife to her throat, essentially. And then Spider-Man kind of swoops in and saves her. But he can't face Cloak because Cloak is teleporting around all the time. And, yeah, these are kids who acquired some powers. It kind of has that feeling of... Well. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, they're experimented on. They come back and they're getting revenge and stuff. And it's a really dark experimentation, too. It's not like they're in some swanky lab. They're like on Ellis Island in a makeshift lab. And these mobsters are trying to design a new drug to distribute on the streets and make more money from. That's their goal is to sell a drug that's more powerful to the magia and then profit from it. It It is a super dark book. Yeah, and uh, you didn't mind the artwork, to be fair, by Ed Hannigan on this one. That's true. He, he did a better job here. Possibly his most famous book. I don't know what other things he's drawn before, but this is a this is the origin of Cloak and Dagger, who are going to be around. This is also a this was an ABC uh, level TV show. Maybe in I don't I don't get the year wrong. I don't. I'll say twenty eighteen or so. Mm. It was on TV. Had a, wow. at least one season, maybe two, maybe a two season show. Mm. So there you go. A big book and. I'm sure you'll see them again. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure they're going to be back within, in the next Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man podcast, which is probably about four podcasts from now. Yes, we will see them again. I, I was happy to see the Beatle and Gibbon mix it up a little bit, uh, but I'm very happy to leave behind any villains that are golden <laughs> or looking at gold. <laughs> so every gold villain, you're... They're all off. Don't like any of them. I I think so. I don't think there's any gold villains I'd like to see again. Well, I'm much more looking forward to uh, in more of an X Men villain, the big old unstoppable Juggernaut, who I defeated no less than twenty times in the side-scrolling arcade game in the late '80s and early '90s. <laughs> oh, congratulations, <laughs> Eddie. 
How can people reach us? Email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Yeah. Haven't gotten an email in a while, by the way. Just got, It's been a while. We had we had a couple, and then it's true. a month has gone by. Appreciate so. those emails so much. Yeah. I mean, we really do read them. And there's like 100 people downloading this, so they can't all be bots. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm James B., joined by... Eddie! And remember, listeners, that Let's Read Peter Parker, this spectacular Spider-Man is a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast for people looking to feel better about themselves. Great idea, James B. It's not my idea. <laughs> great, great thing for our podcast, James B. <laughs> Nothing makes you feel more good than knowing others have it worse than you. Listen to Harry Osborne discuss how his dad was the Green Goblin who murdered lots of people. Also, uh, Harry Osborne discuss that his dad is dead, that he had a drug problem, breaking up with the love of his life, Mary Jane, being stalked by the Molten Man who burned down his house, just so much more. In the podcast, You Think You Got Problems on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. Just your average suburbanite resident we're talking about, James B. <laughs> Nothing special. Maybe a little piece of paradise with Harry Osborne in it. Goodbye. Goodbye. get the opinion that as gold Goldbug was shooting his gun and turning all these people into, into statues of gold was he these are gold right like so that's a lot of money worth of each right yeah that's what I'm saying he like has this whole thing where he's like oh, I need so much gold to like be Goldbug and I'm like why don't you become bronze bug and he has a gold like, Tin bug or something. Right. I don't know. Tin, you're right. Tin bug would be, be so much cheaper, right, to, to run with. <laughs> tin bug. Gold bug also has a ship that he like sort of travels with, like it flies above him and carries him, and it's a giant gold bug. Think like a giant, you know, cockroach or a beetle. It's just gold, <laughs> and he like it's the same thing as logo. Just in case you didn't know he was a gold bug, he has a giant gold bug. I thought bug. becoming a costume criminal would put me on easy street. I was wrong. My overhead is staggering. I use real <laughs> gold in my paraphernalia, my ship costume, and weaponry. <laughs> like, when was becoming a costume gold bug ever going to put anyone on easy street <laughs> gold bug? <laughs> yeah, do you know who doesn't have an overhead that's staggering? Uh, tin bug. <laughs> Tin Buck's, Tin Buck's not even in this book. He's already completed all his robberies and he lives on like an island in the South Pacific or something.